This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Putting the Capitol riots in the context of the continuing revolution. On January 6, 2021, thousands gathered in Washington, D.C. to protest the certification of Joseph Biden's election to the presidency. A far smaller group, estimated at 100 to 125, broke off from the main body and illegally entered and vandalized the Capitol building. No matter what later investigations may find, this was an unprecedented incident in American history. The news media have fallen all over themselves to tell us what happened, even though their sources of information are marginal. Leftist journalists and pundits want us to see January 6th as an isolated incident. In their narrative, the only person at fault is President Trump. They wring their hands over this unprecedented attempt to usurp the powers and symbols of government. They conveniently overlook their own actions at state capitals, courthouses, and police stations, and hope that you will, too. Today, the Return to Order moment attempts to begin the process of putting January 6th in context. We begin by looking at one curious aspect of the event. Then we look at the leftists' reactions to the event. Finally, we place the event in the context of the unraveling of American culture over the last few decades. So we begin by bringing you Mr. John Horvath's article, What Was a Viking Shaman Doing Representing Conservative Values? During the violent incident at the Capitol on January 6th, the media published photos of a tattooed man wearing a fur cap and Viking horns among the protesters. This strange Viking, who calls himself Q Shaman, suddenly became the poster boy for the pro-Trump protesters. The media have used him as a bizarre example of all right-wing radicals. No one seems to have asked what this Viking shaman has to do with anything conservative. This zany figure's appearance only added to the chaos that engulfed America on that day. However, for those who hold authentic traditional values, the shaman's appearance should be a matter of concern. Such an unconventional character could not help but become known. He gained a bit of a reputation as Q Shaman since he appears at rallies and protests. With his Viking horns, he is hard to miss. His real name is Jacob Angeli Chansley, 33, and he is an Arizona native. Although Q Shaman is a QAnon conspiracy theory follower, he is, above all, a quote-unquote ordained shamanic practitioner. At an early age, he rejected his Catholic faith and eventually embraced pagan alternatives. As a practitioner, he sells books and courses. He also maintains a recently censored YouTube channel. During the Capitol episode, he appeared at the Senate dais as a Viking holding a spear with an American flag, crying out, Where's Pence? He obliged the press by posing for photos. The big problem with Q Shaman is in his dark practice. Wherever primitive societies appear, shamanism is not far behind. It is a form of savage magic or science in which the shaman seeks to control the spirits and demons allegedly found everywhere in nature. The shaman uses his powers 
to render the spirit's activities ineffective or favorable by appropriate words or ceremonies. The shaman does this by communicating with spirits at will, often through induced ecstasy or even possession by a spirit that imparts to him intense mental states, superhuman strength, or infused knowledge. Indeed, in an interview with National Review, Q Shaman confirmed his role and his primitive dress as a way, quote, to chase off evil spirits, chase off evil sorcerers, and evil witches, unquote. Over the past couple of years, witches and Satanists became increasingly involved in supporting both the civil unrest and political campaigns. A wealth of literature teaches aspiring witches how to cast spells and hexes upon conservative candidates or police officers. Books are appearing that teach people how to mix politics and the demonic. In a largely secular society, the occult is now emerging as a political force. More often than not, occultists have appeared at leftist events. The left's political philosophy and revolt against the Christian West make it logical that Satanists would embrace their radical agenda. However, Q Shaman represents primitive occultism on the right. He is found in a dark corner of neo-pagan thought, entering the mainstream, and includes conservative sectors. It is hard to know how seriously Q Shaman practices his savage science, However, his bizarre appearance as a representative and symbol of traditional values is completely wrong. As a shaman, he represents nothing conservative, Western, Christian, or traditional in his beliefs and practices. The Viking shaman seeks a return to barbarism, which brought the world's slavery, nudity, infanticide, euthanasia, cannibalism, tyranny, and poverty. It was the church that freed the world of the shaman's savage practices and suffocating superstition. Indeed, Hugh Shaman more easily represents the left, with its fascination for indigenous pagan cultures and its rejection of Christian morals. His positions fit well with postmodern philosophies that emphasize fantasy and the creation of one's own reality. If he is to be a symbol, let the left claim him. He does not belong on the right. This concludes, what was a Viking shaman doing representing conservative values? We now move away from this bizarre character to the general tenor of the left. Many insights about the left can be gained by analyzing their reactions to January 6th. Mr. Horvat does this in his essay, Four Lessons About the Left from the Violence at the Capitol. The Capitol's violence has now entered into history as an event of a dramatic and emotional character. The debate over the details and issues involved still rages. However, in the court of public opinion, the final narrative reflects negatively upon President Trump and his supporters. Independent of the merits of the issues being discussed, some lessons can be learned about the left from this incident. These lessons should govern future action, since the rules of the game of the coming administration will require conservatives to act with wisdom and discernment. The way the left capitalized on this incident should serve to make the right wary. The first lesson that must be learned is that the left's mode of operation is different from the right. 
The left's moral relativism allows it to be selective in calling something wrong. The radical left has always taught that the end justifies the means. Its followers believe that there is no objective right or wrong. Anything that advances its revolution is moral and praiseworthy. Anything that hinders the revolution must be scorned and vilified. Thus, the storming of the Capitol was a wrong act that needs to be censured. However, do not expect this censure to be applied to all such acts. It does no good to contrast the Capitol incident with the hundreds of left-approved, quote-unquote, mostly peaceful riots that caused an estimated $2 billion in damages over the summer. Conservatives will point in vain to a thousand inflammatory quotes and videos of liberal politicians justifying and validating the civil unrest during 2020. It makes no difference to them, since the actions favor their revolution. That is the left's mode of acting. It is not fair, but it is the way it is. Don't expect leftists to be consistent, because their moral relativism allows them to pick and choose who they support. Don't expect them to be moved by the injury and death of conservative victims, since these poor people have no value in their revolutionary narrative. Thus, conservatives should behave knowing that their acts will be unfairly scrutinized and that the left will break the rules with impunity. The second lesson is that the left's moral relativism vanishes when judging the actions of the right. Indeed, the radical left will hold the right up to the highest standards of Christian morality, which they neither believe nor follow. Its level of moral indignation at rightist errors will always be in inverse proportion to their indifference to leftist violence. Not only will the left take note of any error, but it will be sure not to let a good crisis go to waste. When the right does something wrong or illegal, expect the media and cynical left to fall upon these actions with fury and rending of garments. No number of apologies will suffice to redeem any person. No amount of pandering to liberal media will ever cause them to forget. Leftists know that rightists are not moral relativists and will admit their errors as wrong. Thus, conservatives should act knowing that they will be judged by this double standard. If an error happens, they should calmly admit it, but never let it frame or dominate the debate. The third lesson is that the right can never adopt the tactics and modus operandi of the left. Such actions work contrary to its moral convictions and are doomed to fail. Any decline into moral relativism deprives conservatives of the strength of their cause found in its strict adherence to the moral law. Thus, if the left resorts to lies, vulgarity, and insults to vilify individuals or causes, the right cannot respond in kind. Such means work contrary to the ends that should orient its actions. Conservatives cannot resort to riots and violence simply because the left indulges in such crimes. A contrary policy of civil and courteous discourse must be maintained. This policy does not exclude responses that are firm, energetic, and even passionate. However, it must be governed by reason. Indeed, 
Adopting this strong attitude elevates the debate and is attractive to public opinion. Finally, the best manner for conservatives to win the debate is to hold themselves up to the highest standards of behavior. They must give no pretext to the other side to attack them. The best way to advance the cause is by a reasoned appeal to strong moral principles. A noble reaction will always impress the public more than a disheveled rabble. For this reason, the clearer the message, the better. The more principled the stand, the greater is the chance of success. The less personal the attack, the more impact it will have. There should be no pandering to politically correct nonsense and identity politics. The left advances by hiding its goals and obscuring its nefarious message. The best path to victory is to stay on message. The left loses when its goals, like defunding the police or promoting socialism, are denounced. Conservatives must always insist on discussing these goals and their hidden doctrines. They must avoid debates that degenerate into strings of personal attacks or insults. What is needed is a pondered attitude of deliberate action with a George Washingtonian tone. The future belongs to those who are not afraid to affirm and practice Christian morality, denounce socialist schemes, and defy political correctness. The liberal establishment and media claim these positions are backward and unattractive. However, when presented energetically and without apology, these positions have immense appeal since they are based upon human nature and moral law. The human condition is suited and attracted to moral behavior since it leads to unity and harmony. Sin and vice work against nature by leading to disharmony and self-destruction. Amid the crisis America faces, it becomes more crucial than ever to confide in God. As sin now dominates society, human solutions will fail. Appealing to God and His Blessed Mother is the only way away from the path to disaster. Any other political strategy that excludes this appeal is doomed to fail. This concludes Four Lessons About the Left from the Violence at the Capitol. Now we take a step back from January 6th and examine the conditions that caused it. Many Americans bemoan the loss of a society that was more civil than that which we now possess. That society was not lost. It was deliberately dismantled. In the concluding essay of this podcast, Mr. Horvat asks the important question, Why is America unraveling? Many are asking why America is unraveling. The question is not surprising. A long process of polarization has existed between ever more dissonant factions. However, we avoided a breakup. Most people did not want to abandon the idea of America outright. No one wanted out, or at least not too far out. As long as something could be gained by staying in the Union, most were content to remain and bicker, until now. Something has changed this election cycle as we face an existential struggle, unlike any seen before. Aided by multiple crises, things are fast unraveling, 
and this time it seems for real. The American system has always been a flexible model of cooperation. It tolerates a lot of variety in viewpoints. This cooperative union is based on a consensus in which everyone agrees to get along, following a few rules called the Constitution. It depends upon a vaguely Christian moral code that keeps things honest and favors economic growth. This America is built around a narrative, full of imagery and rich in expression. The result is an economic dynamo, unmatched in history, which produces material well-being for the population. When it works, it is like a well-primed machine that delivers the goods. The problem is that this flexible system tends to conserve the mechanisms that keep it running. It imposes a certain discipline and effort upon the population. In this time of overall decadence, the left finds its moral framework restrictive and imposing. It wants this conservative America to change, to become more liberal and progressive. Like everyone else, America has shifted to the left over the years. However, it has not moved fast enough for liberals. Even in its present decadent state, the system remains intact with all its trappings. Too many people are comfortable within the American system and resist the siren song of leftist utopias. An impasse is causing an unraveling. The radical left's program cannot coexist with the present American system. With each election cycle, the right has defied Marxist determinism and its "quote unquote" irresistible march of history, according to which a conservative America should no longer exist. This reality has generated hatred and desperation that is now found in the delirium of the present public discourse. An impatient radical left now kicks and pushes the liberal establishment toward its programs. Thus, the radical left does not wish to replace or reform the American system. Now it wants to shatter, fragment, and smash it in all its manifestations. Leftists exploit every heterogeneous point of friction, from abortion to gun rights to race. They politicize and weaponize sports, bathrooms, and pronouns. They question the system's narratives, symbols, and certainties. The hypersexualized liberal culture tramples upon the moral code that fragilely survives its cultural offensive. Anything to break the unity of America is now allowed. Raw emotions explode at the Antifa-led protests in Portland, the cancel culture on campus. Or the woke discourse of the liberal establishment, the left wants to destroy structures, narratives, and institutions. For the left, these things are unbearable restraints that undergird the American system and keep it running. Concepts like patriotism must be overthrown. Fixed identity is oppressive and must be made fluid and subjective. Even sports are repurposed to favor this new wave of cultural destruction. The radical left does not make this effort to influence its militants, since they are already camped just outside the walls of the American system that they loathe. Radical leftists use the system against itself to further the goals of their revolution. They want to bring down the system. 
thus, the unrest targets those who are still comfortable inside the American system and refuse to move fast enough to the left. The left introduces rage and discontent, formerly a fringe trademark, making it mainstream. By shattering the system, they employ the best way to destroy a comfort zone. They make it uncomfortable. The massive post-COVID chaos accelerates the great unraveling. A toxic election cycle, a pandemic, economic upheaval, and racial unrest have turned everything upside down. Business is upended, education disrupted, and officials ban religious services. Everything that brought certainty to people's lives is now in question. Liberal governors and mayors impose a quote-unquote new normal, allowing unrest to reign and terrorize the population. COVID rules and restrictions create chaos and confusion. The fast and fake news cycle keeps everyone full of anxiety. In the old American system, such crises could be addressed by everyone working together. Under the new system, a reign of uncertainty dominates where nothing is defined and everything is possible. The old American system no longer brings prosperity and comfort, but stress and depression. Indeed, the radical left is taking what is left of the American system and turning it into a hell. They would like to see Americans scattering everywhere, desperate to get away from the inflicted pain. They have prepared and set traps for fleeing Americans and hope to spring them. Leftist utopian dreams, anarchist fantasies, and survivalist retreats. The great danger is in this reduced unraveling. To those Americans who grieve for the nation, the proper response must be to unite, not scatter. We must rally around the remnants of order that remain. We must fight against those who would destroy our institutions, police, and love of country. However, a return to the old American system is not enough to overcome the present dangers. It lacks the dynamism needed to inspire a decadent nation to overcome the problems. The left knows that this weakened system poses no threat to them if limited to human action. The radical left hates the American system because of its distant links to Christian civilization. Our moral code linked to the Ten Commandments still beckons, if faintly, for people to return to the Christian socio-political order abandoned long ago. The left fears such a return, since God's grace can do all things. In times of crisis, Americans need to look beyond the comforts of the American system and return to God and His Church. Only a return to this wellspring of our order can regenerate America. A moral regeneration triggered by adversity and suffering is the only thing that will save us from coming pandemonium. Turning to God and His law must unite us and lead us to the triumph foreseen by the Mother of God at Fatima. This concludes putting the Capitol riots in the context of the continuing revolution. Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. 
If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. In that way, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book that spells out the ideological message behind our work. Mr. John Horvat's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2021 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.